statistical, so unpredictable, here on SNL Stats. Yes, that is right. SNL is back. It is 2021, and we have on SNL Stats our first roundtable of the year. First off, I would like to thank Will from America, who put together our new theme song, and it really hyped me up for the incredible panel we have tonight. Let's get right to it. Joining us for the first time in 2021, it is Rich Tackenberg. Rich, how you doing? Hello. I am great. I am uh, Saturday Night Live's back. How could I not be in a good mood? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, It was five weeks of anticipation, and we're back, and I'm so excited to talk about it. Here with us is super fan Sammy K. Sammy, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me again, uh, and I'm excited to talk about uh, a fun episode of SNL tonight. Definitely happy to have you and joining us for the first time on one of our regular roundtables. You may have heard him. We did an interview with him. He is a collector of all things SNL. He has SNL memorabilia. He is the official archivist of what I like to say for, for all things SNL. James Stevens, how you doing? Always a pleasure, John. Glad it worked out that I could be here. And I hope you know what that's referencing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you, James. Um, for those of us who haven't heard the interview that I did with you talking a little bit about your origin story, would you mind just giving the audience uh, a little bit of a recap of your history with the show? Yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, I, I have vague memories, fond memories of uh, watching the old reruns like on Nick at Night. Uh, there were like 30 minute captures, which is kind of crazy to believe. But for me, I think it started around 1989 with the uh, 15th anniversary special. I remember that coming on a on a Sunday and uh, taped it and watched it many times. And everybody in school was talking about it the next day. And, and from that that point on, I was uh, I was hooked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if they're very familiar feeling for for us and all the listeners. Um, so this is what I would like to do to start off the show. Like I said, first show with 2021, I want to kind of set the table. So this is the point of the podcast where we're all kind of getting our drinks and we're about to start the conversation. And I want to talk about, you know, the themes of what we're looking for and our expectations going into the second half of the season. So when we last spoke to you on one of our regular roundtables, you know, it was the Christmas show and we had this, you know, major event where we see Alex Moffat as Biden. So, you know, that was a big topic of conversation and were we going to see Alex Moffat as Biden going into 2021? That didn't happen yet in the first episode, but I'm sure we're going to see him during the next run. We also have this you know, conversation about 20 cast members. We haven't had an episode yet until this week where all 20 cast members were in the show. That was really interesting. And then we also have COVID protocols, you know, uh, as the world is, you know, kind of moving forward into 2021 and a potential vaccine on the horizon, will SNL, you know, relax some of their protocols and you know how will that affect the overall quality of the show so these are all topics that i kind of want to get to before we get into the krasinski episode so rich let me bring you in is there anything that you want to talk about with regards to your expectations for the second half of the season you know, it's funny. I, I was writing down some thoughts ahead of time, and I really covered exact those exact same three. You know, the, I would say the bigger thing uh, when we talked about Biden is sort of thinking about the Obama era. We're moving in this very fast manner from an avalanche of current events that feel like they have to be covered and major characters that are larger than life to a, a period where there are very few larger than life caricatures and and topics that have to be discussed as far 
far as that, you know, actual press conferences or specific events that that SNL needs to do their take on. How do they make that transition? I see that as a good thing. My experience has always been this is what SNL does best, not how do we do our take on that debate, on that news conference, on that specific moment on live TV, rather the what's SNL's considered take on it. And I think, you know, we'll talk about the cold open where I think they're really starting to set the stage for this is how we're going to go into this. So I think that's for me. I mean, I could comment on all three, but I want to hear from everyone else. I really think that's what I'm most interested in. And really what's also coming out of this is, is SNL going to share a point of view or are they just going to do low-hanging fruit impressions and I think we started to get some answers from that contradictory answers on that in this episode that we'll talk about yeah definitely and uh, Sammy let me go to you so you know our, our super fan on the panel tonight. What were your expectations coming into this run of five episodes we have going into the year and the things that I talk about with regards to setting the table? How did you feel about about all those things coming into the new year? Sure yeah well personally for me, the energy in the show tonight, it felt like, you know, it felt like a, a giant weight has kind of been lifted off uh, the shoulders of both the cast and even the writers to where uh, this is a new era of the show, this post-Trump era where they are able to kind of go back to, uh, you know, just kind of uh, having political conversations and, and takes on things. Um, but uh, it, it's not necessarily the focus. We're not ripping things from the headlines and stuff like that. So as far as looking ahead um, uh, to the to the rest of the season, yeah, I'm ex- I'm expecting a show similar to this where the the energy is fun um, and and I feel like there's a little less pressure on on everybody's shoulders to um, kind of have to put a spotlight on everything going on uh, in the world the way that they did in the in the Trump era. Definitely. And James, I know that you, you know, when you're watching the show, we've had discussions off the air about, uh, you know, your uh, interest in the cast and the crew, especially with regards to how they go about, you know, the week and planning SNL um, and the COVID protocols. Like I mentioned, you know, all these things are definitely affecting how they go about their business. So what have you thought and what are your expectations going into the second half of the year? Yeah, I don't know that I have expectations um, as much as uh, the things that uh, you mentioned and, and Rich in particular about uh, the point of view, I, like how Rich said that, is, um, you know, kind of addressing events without addressing the event. You know, um, of course, we'll talk about the cold open and I enjoyed that it wasn't uh, the uh, obvious, uh, you know, copy and paste from a you know the inauguration or something like that but you know it didn't you'll laugh maybe but it didn't really occur to me that we didn't see biden i mean i know that we didn't see biden but i but i you know i was more impressed on how they talked about the different things throughout the episode uh and so that was for me refreshing uh the other thing john that you mentioned about the whole 20 member cast uh being there in the building in the studio and each of them uh showing up uh at least once most of them multiple times, I think, was uh, was was amazing to just kind of see everybody coming together uh, in that realm. Uh, but then even the 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 COVID protocols. I mean, you hear everybody talking about you know the audience is about one fourth the size is what it normally is, which is a small audience, uh, you know, uh, already. Uh, so I, I, for me, one of the things I felt like early on in the show, it felt like they were a little dead. 
um, you know, like things that normally you would hear a laugh, you know, was, was to me seemed pretty silent. Uh, and so I think the, the cast and everybody's trying to, you know, make their way around that. But, and we've seen on the social media things, the, uh, you know, the, the, read through on Wednesday nights, you know, being in the studio and all, all spaced out and all that kind of stuff, but just hearing more and more about how the control room is spaced out and, you know, they have their camera uh, meeting at uh, 11 PM or whatever. And the other folks are, are, are clearing out of that. And I just learned, I think I shared this with you, John, also off the air that I didn't even know that our good friend, uh, the director, uh, Don Roy King uh, had COVID uh, for a time and was actually out one episode. Um, and, uh, so Michael Mancini jumped in for him. So just to, you know, to hear sort of these workings behind the scenes and how, uh, for the most part, for me, it seems that, uh, no one's really missed a beat, you know, it just, it seems to still be, uh, the same SNL. And even though I'm maybe, uh, ahead of myself here, I, I enjoyed the episode, uh, that we're uh, talking about here, uh, with John Krasinski. You know, to James's point, I think what's also interesting about the second half of the season is the protocols are still in place, but the, I think that the audiences giving them a pass for COVID is no longer in place because they did it. They came out of the gate and they were able to produce quality, funny, humorous television despite all these. Now that's just expected. So now we're going to come into the site where you just you just have to do it despite all of these, you know, all of these things that are making it hard. So I'll be interested to see. I wonder if that wears on them because it feels like it's an exhausting process. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you, Rich. And and that was, you know, really, like I said, one of the things that I was keeping an eye on. Um, I know that, you know, our, our friends over at the Standby Line podcast, they mentioned that there's going to be no standby line, at least through February and then probably for the rest of the season. So our assumption is that, you know, as, as these things progress, it's, it's hopefully by the fall, we're going to get a full audience back in for 47. But, um, you know, so I'm not expecting... Uh, insane amount of applause. But James, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you where I was watching this cold open. And, you know, we'll get into the content of the cold open and if we liked it or not. But the uh, energy in the room, to me felt mild. Uh, it, it wasn't you know, the energy that I expect where this is this is a party, like Rich always says, like we're always excited to kind of get into the episode. And I felt that took away a little bit from the the writing of the cold open. Uh, Rich, did you feel similarly? Oh, I definitely did. I think it's a combination of a couple of things when we get into the cold open. A, you're right. You know, when you have a quarter of the audience, the big obvious laugh, it's OJ Simpson. You're going to get that whole room, but there's a, you know, but when a joke is meant for 10%, 10% of 25% is a much lower number and you don't get that knowing laugh of the cool kids. You instead feel like it didn't land at all. And I think that hurt. I think there were a couple of mistakes structurally that they made at the very beginning of this sketch which hurt them it took it took the audience to take at least a full beat before they went okay now i understand what's going on and now i am on board and i am laughing but but we sort of suffered as the audience was sort of figuring that out with them so i think it was both yeah and, and sammy i mean i know you you definitely keep up with pop culture and current events and and all of that um how did you feel about this cold open in the way that we started the show uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, a couple of people on the panel tonight have already said how um, you know they are you know ready to get into this new era of the show where we're not just repeating uh, the lines that kind of been ripped in the headlines. And uh, being the the first show back from such a long break, 
which kind of felt like a longer break than we typically get from the Christmas episode uh, to when they come back. Um, it was just uh, such a fun recap because um, they could have taken any single uh, element uh, of the past month or so and just focused the entire cold open on that. And instead, it was kind of a you know punch after punch of uh, everything that's been going on. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it and I, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, going forward, the, the cold opens, not necessarily being, you know, here's Biden talking at the podium. Uh, you know, it's kind of having a new spin on it. Like a talk show is a cold open. Like when was the last time we had that? So it's very true. We haven't had a not, I wouldn't say that this is specifically not political because there, it was basically a rundown right. of, of current events, but we haven't had a non-political cold open in the longest time that I can remember. And I know throughout the Obama administration, um, you know, uh, partially because SNL didn't necessarily have the best take on Obama, but also, you know, many weeks throughout that season, you would have just, or those seasons, you would have regular sketches in the cold open spots. And then as soon as obviously we got to the Trump era, it turned into a whole other thing. Um, so James, uh, let me get your thoughts on the cold open. And then I want to get back to Rich and hear about the couple things that he, you know, uh, saw in the cold open that may have taken away from it. Yeah, the cold open when it, when it first literally opened, I was kind of like, okay, so is Kate playing herself or not? And then of course, we, we get that reveal there uh, at the end, which actually is uh, one amusing thing, I think is just that sort of meta nature of the show. But then also, uh, you know, like it reminds me of like Kate kind of has this Kate is now like a character of like herself losing her mind a little bit. Like, you know, how how uh, how uh, she's been called out on uh, Weekend Update now. And, 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 and this was another example of that. Uh, one of the laugh out loud moments for me also, I don't know why, but just when I see Alex coming out as Mark Zuckerberg, just I mean, like. I just laughed, you know, and, and, and as Rich said, uh, about OJ, it's just a, an immediate, uh, laugh moment too. And, and his anger, uh, you know, he says something like he's almost going to kill somebody or say, he doesn't say kill, but the, 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 I, I think that no matter how many times you, you poke fun at OJ, uh, maybe Don Allmeyer would uh, disagree with me on this point, but I enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Rich, tell me, uh, you said you had a couple things from the cold open that you felt like took away from it. So tell me what you think. Well, I mean, and by the way, I really liked this cold open a lot. I thought it was great. It was a great point of view, you know, and, you know, the the thing that worked for it but worked against it at the beginning is that other than the Mark Zuckerberg impression, these were not lampooning people. These were basically, this is what this congressperson has said. This is what happened on Reddit and in the stock market. This is, you know, this is, you know, OJ got the vaccine. We don't have to put a hat on a hat, as they say in comedy. OJ got the vaccine. So I love that it was sort of this take of like, we're instead of writing a lot of jokes and doing a lot of silly impressions, we're just going to crystallize everything that's happened since we broke for Christmas break, which was wonderful. Now doing that, I think did take the audience a minute to get it. You know, when Cecily Strong comes out as Marjorie Taylor Greene, I know of her. I kind of know a bit about her. I don't know her. So this is not like doing Sarah Palin with, you know, where Tina Fey can say, I can see Russia from my house and everybody's on board from the jump. It took a minute, you know, as James said, we come into this, we don't know who, you know, we don't know what character 
you know, um, Kate is playing. In fact, she's playing herself. I'm not sure why they didn't just say that from the beginning so we could be on the train with her. And, you know, Cecily, I think, is tremendous. When she comes out, she's offering a gun, which kind of there's like a there's this moment of like people are laughing, but it's not like it took us everyone a second to sort of settle in. And then I think once everyone understood we're not painting this character as, you know, the you know, the character that she's going to do on Weekend Update, we're just going to really use lines. Then I think everyone really got up to speed. But it you could it really required kind of understanding what happened in pop culture and in current events around the stock market and in the government and in social media to really get these jokes, uh, you know, where Alex Moffat really stood out, where he was doing a caricature of Mark Zuckerberg, which he's done before, which was not you know, which was not of the piece of what happened in the last five weeks around social media. So I thought, but I, in general, I really liked the sketch a lot. I thought doing that and saying, and this is Kate McKinnon, all, the last thing I'll say about the energy is how rare is it that when it's time to yell live from New York, we don't have everybody running back onto the stage to scream it. It was just Cecily by herself, which was fun, but it didn't give us the energy we often get coming out of a cold open. So can I just chi chime in real quick, yeah. John, if you don't mind, because because Rich first is is one of you know is is, a, is just one of your exceptional panelists because he's 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 uh and I'm not just saying that, Rich. I I do I love the way your mind works and I love how you no kind keep of talking, please. <laughs> no, I love the way you break things down because you're you're exactly right. And and the point about a hat, you don't need to put a hat on a hat. Um, I'm probably in many respects a little, you know, too nice and just like, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what I like and what I didn't like, but I, I'm not, uh, so much, uh, the reviewer as much as, as much as, you know, your, 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 uh, you know, critical eye is, is, is what kind of makes this fun to, 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 to have a round table and, and have folks, uh, talk about that. I will say about the, uh, uh, live from New York line, uh, at the end, and I know John, where you're going to go next here with this is, you know, there's something about the number of episodes for a long time now, probably even going back uh, a season or two, where I started to kind of get annoyed where everybody who's on stage just comes together and screams it, where it, it used to be, um, you know, a conversation and one person will say it and the camera zooms in. So there was something about, uh, Kate really having fun with the delivery of that, uh, that got me kind of excited. And I enjoyed that, uh, this, uh, uh, this 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 past episode Chevy Chase style of uh, live from New York. You're right. You're totally yeah. right. Well, what I was going to say before we move on from the cold open, and I don't know if we are yet. Um, I, this is uh, again to to say you know Rich brings this one thing, and I'm quirky and do a different thing. I don't know if anyone else finds this interesting, but I, I, I'm going to share this. So uh, the cold open that uh, now that they posted online if you go and you know you watch it uh the on the youtube channel or the one that's on peacock or whatever uh has been you know they kind of tweak it and re-edit it a little bit what's interesting is uh from cecily's entrance to cecily's uh exit uh is all from dress rehearsal uh and uh the music uh bed that when she comes in uh is different uh than when they had the live version uh but the only and you can hear uh if you play it side by side uh there's a different you know uh tone nuances in the delivery but all the uh uh all the words the, the script is exactly the same with the exception of one thing when cecily asks how much time you got uh 
Kate in the live version didn't say anything, but uh, in the uh, dress rehearsal now that's posted out there, she says, for you, very little. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know where you, you thought I was going to go with this because um, this, this is the thing. Uh, I wanted to talk about something with the cold open that's a little bit, you know, take a little bit of a turn on this, is that uh, the choice to go with Kate as playing herself I like from a historical perspective. I've always loved in cold opens or even throughout the show when cast members play themselves. I find it gives you a little bit more information about their personalities, who they are. We get to learn the meta of the show. Those moments are the moments that get clipped and passed around throughout the years and makes you feel as a viewer that you are friends with these really cool people who are on Saturday Night Live. Saying all of that, I think that Kate is an incredible performer and I love what she's done in the show. But we've had three instances this season, twice her playing this Doctor We Notice character, and once now in the cold open, where I'm given the impression that Kate is simply fed up. And I don't know that that is the best thing for an SNL cast member to portray on the screen. Now, I just want to be clear to the audience. I'm okay if Kate's not okay. Like if there's a if there's issues going on and she's upset, you know, with the world or she has things as a person, I want her to be okay. But as an SNL cast member on screen, you know, like ho you know, opening up the show and being the one who says live from New York, I, I just don't know if I l fell in love with the premise of like I'm not okay with the world. And I, and I don't know if that's just if it's just my impression or if other people feel similarly. But let, let me ask you, Sammy, as, yeah. as someone who you know loves the show, um, do you did you feel the same way? No, I, I actually I'll, I'll push back on that and say okay. that um, it, I, I, I do like, especially in this sp specific circumstance, that you know there are a lot of things right now in the world there we are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit, but we still are in the thick of it. Um, so for me, as someone who uh, you know, looks up to these SNL cast members like they're, you know, superheroes, seeing someone else struggling with these kind of issues that I'm struggling with, um, you know, puts it all in perspective and, and makes me feel like uh, I'm not alone. Uh, we're, we're getting really deep here. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, it makes me feel like we're, we're kind of all in this together. Um, so I, that, that's like interesting that you had that take on that. Because for me, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate her kind of, um, you know, sh wearing her heart on her sleeve, uh, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 look, if the show wants to write it, you know, clearly this this cold open was written from a tone that was like, this is supposed to be from Kate's perspective. This is Kate's talk show and she's playing herself. So it's obviously, uh, it's whether you want to attribute it completely to the way she thinks or not, uh, you have to t do it at least a little bit in your analysis of this cold open. But Rich, let me ask you, I, I want to get your perspective on what I'm saying. Um, obviously, uh, I don't disagree with you, Sammy, but I just it made me, you know, think for a second, are we going to get this Kate for the rest of the season and possibly for the end of her SNL career? So, Rich, let me hear what you thought. You know, I, it's a great question. I mean, I think my answer is a little bit 30 degrees off of the question that you asked specifically, which is, you know, one of the things I said, I think when the show started, and again, I love this sketch, but what it also started a little bit off for me is 
you know, watching Kate McKinnon for over what is eight or nine years on the show, I have been conditioned to expect her to take the character to 10. Whatever she is going to play, she is going to be bounding out of the seat, a ball of energy, taking it to 11. So in the beginning of the sketch, it was so strange to be like, they cast Kate as the straight person in the sketch of crazy people. That's so odd to me. And I don't think I really sort of connected, oh, this is supposed to be, I, I I understood in my head this is supposed to be the voice of the show, but it wasn't until she said something about, uh, you know, you've confirmed, uh, you know, it makes me remind, you know, what, you know, uh, uh, was something about being a lesbian, which was, I can't remember what, what the joke was, but it was a great joke, but it was a very Kate joke. I feel like if you were going to do this, it would have been so helpful to set up from the beginning. This is Kate McKinnon and I'm the host of, because at least then, as I said, we're on the train with them together. Um, as far as that goes, I don't mind it so much right now as far as like Kate, like I've lost my mind, the world is crazy because I do think A, it's in the voice of the show and B, that character that she was playing did not necessarily take away from any of the comedy. I didn't feel like it was a, it was a downer on the comedy. I felt like it was just like, I'm so, I've so had it with everything. I want to shine a light on the things that I think are crazy. And I think that that does work well for the show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, James, let me bring you in on that. I want to hear your opinion uh, about this Kate conversation. Um, it's just for me, like I was saying, like I try and think about the meta of things and I think about Kate coming into her SNL career in, uh, I believe, 2012 and with the Sofia, Sofia Vergara and all of the crazy characters and all this stuff over the last few years. And it's just a little bit of a different Kate that we're seeing um, now and the development of her like through the Hillary impression until now. So um, James, let me get your opinion. Yeah, no, I, I really, I, I really respect your thoughts on it, and the way you first uh, sort of articulated it made me think uh, that there's maybe, you know, I, I, your background, you know, in in events, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a PR kind of thing that that just resonated to you because of because of what you do is in terms of your day job. Um, I never thought of it like that, but your feelings are your feelings, so you're not wrong. What it did make me think is. Um, to your point is, you know, who was she supposed to be, if not herself, or who was supposed to be the straight person, um, you know, to play off those folks? I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, Rich, you mentioned the uh, Chevy Chase part of it and, and the, her delivery of the Live from New York line. You know, it kind of reminds me of that same thing where uh, the show was using his name, you know, at the beginning, or that was the, you know, kind of the pull, you know, you know, uh, uh, spotlit star, which is kind of, uh, uh, who maybe she is. I think that the weed notice thing for me, as I fit reflect back on it, especially with your question, John on weekend update, the first time they did it, I think that it was typical Saturday night live. We don't have an ending. Let's, let's say, Kate, are you doing, how are you doing or whatever was going to be, you know what I mean? Like sometimes they just have a really hard time getting out of the piece. Uh, so it could have just been one of those things. Um, but her, uh, cracking up or losing her mind or, or being, uh, weirded out by the world, uh, to me seems very much like the meta ness that we see of like the Kyle and Leslie, you know, over the years where this is who she is now. I don't know that she's, any more gone or uh that we need to worry about her but i i don't really know 
You know, John, you, you bring up one other thing I want to say, because you brought up some good points and, and James is saying something too. You know, when I think about meta, you know, people who've been on the show a long time. So I'm going to compare for a second Kate to Keenan. Keenan, obviously much longer. Keenan had this arc where he's now at the point in the show where he's graded all these different characters, but he's always Keenan and we know who Keenan is. Hence, he gets a sitcom on NBC. Kate had this arc where, especially around the Ellen and the Hillary, she hit this absolute apex, and now she's on the other side of that. She's still clearly one of the biggest players on the show, but I don't feel like I have a sense of Kate. You know, whether she, you know, now she's playing Rudy Giuliani, but then also, you know, you know, in all these different sketches, I don't know her. So I actually think that this may not be a bad piece of branding for her. Of you know, you know, they always say, you know, on the show, the only people who everyone name who uh, whose name you know are the anchors of weekend update and I think by Kate sort of breaking out of that and being the voice of the show of I'm so fed up I can't take it anymore might be good branding for her because it's not gonna land on an iconic character it's not gonna land on an iconic kind of sketch or what up with that or something so this could be interesting for her sort of as she leaves the show that we remember her as maybe the voice of the show in in season 46. It's an excellent point, and and I'm totally with you. I just, you know, when I look at SNL cast members playing themselves on the show, I take that as more memorable, you know, probably twice as more memorable as any character they're going to play. So I do believe that whenever a cast member makes a conscious decision to play themselves on the show, they have to be prepared for the audience to get an impression of, you know, their voice and what they want to be remembered for. So not that I'm saying that it's a bad thing for what you know, Kate was doing and that if, if she is struggling, I do want her to be okay. And I do want her to get help. So I'm, I, I love Kate, but but I'm just saying I wanted to point out that this is um, something that I'm noticing in season 46 that I didn't notice in season 38, let's say. Um, but uh, let's move on. Let's let's kind of talk a little bit more about the episode. And uh, we have John Krasinski as our first host of 2021, um, you know, most famous uh, for playing Jim on The Office. And we do have a history of former hosts uh, who have been in the office and have appeared in cameos. Um, so, so Sammy, I know you're, you're a big office fan. So what were your expectations for Krasinski going in? Uh, well, I, you know, this time last year or, you know, going back to March of last year, I was so excited when they announced that Krasinski was going to host for a quiet place Two, a movie, which uh, got delayed and is still not coming out. And who knows when it's going to come out at this point. But uh, yeah, as a huge fan of The Office, uh, he's been on my list for for years of someone who I'd love to see host SNL. Um, you know, I used to watch the the NBC comedy night done right. Uh, you know, whole lineup of Community and The Office and Parks and Thirty Rock, and there'd be all these people like uh, you know Nick Offerman and um, you know Joel McHale from Community who who never hosted. And I'm like NBC, you know, you got great talent right there. Go go get them the host. So. Um, you know, it was great to see John Krasinski finally get a shot. Um, it is also just great to see him do comedy again. I was on his Wikipedia page earlier today. And, you know, since The Office ended in 2013, he hasn't done like any comedy, like movie, TV, nothing. So uh, it was kind of cool to see him um, be funny again. And I, and I think he did a you know, good job as like a first time host. Yeah. James, what about you? Were you a big Office guy? Oh gosh, yes, for sure. And I, uh, just like Sammy, was was uh, 
hoping that we were going to see him in in the host role this the season because of you know the uh the announcement uh at season 45 so um yeah i just i i thought uh he did a good job you know the monologue um you know when you talk about a host sometimes your brain just goes instantly to the monologue you know it was kind of not um I mean, it was fine. You know what I mean? Like it just, we, we got in, we got out, um, you know, had the, uh, folks asking questions there in the back and it was, you know, amusing. And, and some people are really excited about the Pete Davidson kiss and others, uh, are, are, are not as much. Uh, what's interesting though, I guess, um, you know, John's first time hosting, you mentioned this, uh, John kind of off, off air here that, uh, we've got a season of all, several first time hosts and, and uh, it's kind of hard to do that thing where what season has the most first time hosts. Cause if you go back to the beginning, they all, they all were, you know, <laughs> but in, in, in recent times, there's just quite a, quite a uh, lineup of, of some good folks. Um, I don't know what I'm saying other than I, I think uh, John did a good job and it's always fun to see folks around, around my age uh, get so excited to be hosting because they've grown up watching the show. That's always just uh, uh, a big kick to, to hear them talk about it that way. Yeah. And to, uh, to answer your question, I believe I don't have it exactly offhand, but I believe season seven of the show, which was one of the Ebersol years, the first Ebersol year is the one with the most first time hosts uh, left on the show uh, in the history of the show. Um, Rich, are you an office fan and were you excited to see him? I'm a huge office fan, huge, huge office fan. Yeah, I mean, excited to see him. Pleasantly surprised, as we said. Hasn't done comedy in a long time, has no experience with live comedy, which is a very different beast. He didn't even come from a multi-camera sitcom. He came from a single-camera comedy that had no uh, no uh, audience. And we, of course, not knowing John personally, although I have run into him and Emily Blunt in Starbucks, and I did not say hello, but they seemed very lovely, uh, and they were very nice to the baristas. Uh, I, You know, was he going to be okay? Was he going to be interested in making fun of his time on The Office, which is now a long time ago? Or were we going to see Jack Ryan sketches and Quiet Place 2 sketches? I didn't know whether he'd be game or not. So very pleasantly surprised. Great live skills. Great, you know, rolling with, you know, you know, be, you know, with the live audience. Very game to make fun of The Office, which everybody knows him from. So, you know, not every sketch was, was a home run, but I thought he was a, a welcome addition to the group. You didn't yell kiss Pam to him? <laughs> well, I will say, I mean, you know, that, you know, that sketch doesn't work outside of COVID because if it's outside of COVID, we're all expecting a Jenna Fisher cameo. You don't set that up without a Jenna Fisher cameo. And, you know, but in COVID, we know Jenna Fisher's not there. You know, is Pete Davidson a good substitute for Jenna Fisher? I will say no, but uh, but at least the sketch delivered on the premise because we knew there wasn't going to be a cameo there. See, this would have been a great opportunity, and and uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess SNL has done this in the past where they've had, uh, for example, like uh, President H. W. Bush uh, come in. But this would have been a good opportunity to have Jenna Fisher zoom into the show, do a side by side kiss with Jim and Pam from Zoom to home base. That would have been an interesting opportunity if they started doing something like that. I know that they once had Chevy Chase host from not actually being uh, in New York City. So uh, the the show does have a history of, of stuff like that, but not for a long time. Um, let's let's talk about the episode a little bit more. Uh, the way I like to do things is we're not going to go exactly sketch by sketch. We're going to talk about the things that we want to 
talk about. So Sammy, let me start with you. Was there a particular sketch that stood out to you that you want to get into? Um, the, the twin sketch, the twin sketch, the, the, the dividend sketch, uh, I thought was great. It was classic kind of Mikey day, Streeter Seidel, just like bizarre out there humor. Um, I, you know, when it first started, I was like, okay, cool. We're, we're getting into a, you know, another kind of GameStop stock sketch thing. And, you know, they, they did the swerve there and, and I really like that. Um, stuff that didn't work for me as much. Uh, I would say the 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 theme song sketch going into that one, I was like, oh, boy, we're going to get, you know, just celebrity impressions, which for me, you know, uh, when, when they do sketches where it's just like impression after impression, that works for me if the impressions are good. And yeah, that one didn't connect as much um, with me just because besides like Cecily Strong as Julie Andrews and, and Chloe Feynman as Kim Cattrall, um, the rest didn't really feel like impressions to me. They, they were kind of just like, you know, we're dressing up Beck Bennett as um, Hopper from Stranger Things, and there's no impression, there's no take or anything there. Um, I, but, you know, I, I did laugh at the Baby Yoda, uh, Kyle Mooney as Baby, Baby Yoda, which is slowly becoming uh, his, like, you know, one of his more frequent recurring characters. And, uh, and, and Pete as uh, Cousin Greg, because I just binged uh, Succession, was also made me laugh. But. Yeah. So let's put a pin in those two, um, yeah. and and let's talk about those. So, uh, Rich, James, do either of you have strong feelings about the twin sketch? I hey, yeah, I was just gonna say uh, I think Sammy and I are the same person, perhaps because I, I feel very much the same. Uh, I like the just the, the twins; they're odd. You know, the the Zoom working from home meetings is so relatable right now. And, you know, kids in the background is something I can relate to. So, uh, uh, though my kids are not, that's not creepy and, and stuff like that. Or some might say they are, I don't know, but you know, it's, and then the, you know, the, the prop puppet, you know, thing, uh, side note, again, this is the kind of weird, um, backstage stuff that I just find interesting. So there's the outside of, uh, 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 Pittsburgh is a is a is a uh, a team called uh, Monkey Boys Productions that have done a lot of the props and puppets for SNLs over the years, like the extreme uh, baking cakes, you know, or even like the White House podium, uh, you know, Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer did. So they put the little, uh, you know, crazy baby doll thing together. Um, uh, so those kinds of things, I just I just find interesting when when somebody writes something on a piece of paper and they're like, all right, we can, we can, we can build that, you know? Um, Cause you always just have to think somebody's done that, you know, somebody put that together. Um, so I, I enjoyed that uh, for what it was. And then I, I am with you, Sammy on the, uh, the uh, opening credit song. Um, I have in the past really just been fond of those celebrity impressions in musical settings. You know, the, the, the Christmas one uh, several years ago yeah. that, that, that they did. Uh, and one of my all time favorites, I don't know why uh, is a cold open, the rock rockers to explain whitewater uh, that just recently uh, David Mandel um, writer at the time and is, uh, was the Veep showrunner. I just connected with him recently uh, and found out that he actually was one of the people who wrote that uh, that sketch. So, um, so yeah, I just, it wasn't, as Sammy said, I didn't think the impressions were all, that great and it just wasn't very many uh you know some some of those times i just want to watch it over and over again because they're it's it's so it's so catchy um i think the payoff there if there was one was krasinski singing the uh lost 
you know, lyrics to the office was maybe the best part there, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, Rich, what about you with, uh, with either of those two sketches? Yeah, I agree with, you know, the twin sketch again, as Sammy said, I like that we thought it was going to be another topical current event that we've already covered in the cold open with the Reddit, stock market, GameStop, and then this wonderful twist, super fun. And I also, what I really liked uh, that I think made this sketch work so well is that nobody went over the top on it. I think that, you know, both, you know, uh, both Kate and Mikey actually played it really nicely. And then Cecily and, and Beth as sort of this, you know, the sort of the straight men in this with Krasinski playing the dad, everyone played it really nice and sort of at a level six. So the just the oddity was the thing that we were laughing at, not sort of some real over the top performance. So I thought that was really fun. And obviously the sketch was going to end with the twins in the studio. We were waiting for it. We got it. It, it was the absolute expected button that sort of brought it home, which was nice. Um, opening songs. I agree with you guys. I mean, you know, I, a lot of times I wasn't sure if we were making fun of the celebrity through the impression or making fun of the show. So I wasn't quite sure where I was supposed to laugh. Uh, and you know, I think even though Pete Davidson impression was horrible, it was still the fun because I was like locked into, okay, I see what you're doing here. I understand what what's sort of fun about that. But certainly this, you know, this will be remembered as John Krasinski sings The Office. I mean, that was just great. And the fact that he really sold it, you know, he didn't pull any punches on. It was really fun. Um, so, you know, for that, it, for that, I enjoyed it, but it, it wouldn't make any best of list for me. For sure. Um, I think for me, the the twin sketch, I, I kept trying to think of like what this reminded me of. And there was uh, in an Amy Schumer hosted Mother's Day sketch where they did a game show from a few years ago. Um, Mikey and Kate played very similar characters, but they were a mother and son. So there was that. And there was also a Michael Phelps hosted episode right after the 2008 Olympics, where you had Will Forte, Amy Poehler and Michael Phelps play a family, um, the Jasper family family in in a sketch which is very very similar um but these types of things always get me and i always find them hilarious and you are you are very right james the props uh department killed it with that um and then with regards to this um this opening credit songs i think for me uh this is the one thing and we're going to talk about the cast a little bit as we go forward but um this is the thing for me that if you're gonna do these types of sketches you're uh, Jimmy Fallon, Michael Bublé uh, Christmas songs, or you're now that's what I call music, like all these things. This is the time where if you have 20 cast members, use your full cast. That That's what I like, you know, don't don't bombard a sketch that doesn't need all the cast members um, and you throw them in there. This is the time where we want to see the talent that you have hired for SNL and go tell every cast member, bring me your best impression of somebody from a TV show. And that's what I want to see and use those opportunities for things like this. And I do feel that despite some of the impressions being better than others, um, we missed out on several cast members from potentially coming into this sketch and doing some interesting impressions. Um, so those are my takes on those two. Uh, Rich, let me go back to you. Let's talk about any other sketches that you want to talk about. I mean, a couple others. The one that I want to really admit uh, that I'm embarrassed that I quite enjoyed and I for no good reason I really love the subway sketch I just love and by the way if you hated it you're right 
You're right. I, I, it was not a good sketch, but those two characters, I just love, I thought that, and for a live sketch, the timing was beautiful. I just loved seeing Krasinski and, 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 uh, Beck playing those two characters that I just thought was so fun. I just, I really liked that sketch. And the idea that all these two guys are really famous for was getting Jared. They didn't even write the $5 foot long and they wanted to bring Jared back. Keenan was just doing exactly what you want keenan to do is the straight man in the sketch and their song for the five dollar foot long was such it was so fun there was no ending to the sketch and even the idea of just the the the, the bowl of bologna which as as a protein bowl that didn't even make sense so i i just i thought that was really fun i actually thought that protein bowl was was a good idea like i thought that was the <laughs> the best part of that um but uh actually um for some synergy, Jared Fogle, um, the Jared from Subway, appeared in on SNL during that Michael Phelps episode that we spoke about. Um, so funny. I thought that was an interesting <laughs> tie-in. Um, Sammy, do you want to jump in on anything with the with the Subway sketch? Yeah, I. It's it's funny that you you're saying uh, it's a bad sketch because I, I also really enjoyed it. Um, I I loved seeing Krasinski play a, kind of more of an outlandish character because you know a lot of the sketches he was kind of doing more of the, the straight man Jim from the office sort of thing. Um, so I really, I really, you know, like the, the chemistry uh, the two of them had together. And also I, I think we're going to, we're going to talk about this uh, a little later, but uh, Dismukes in this sketch kind of, you know, killed it as well. I, I wrote down a line here. Uh, there's something to where Beck Bennett or, or Krasinski calls him a kid and the delivery he has, he says, well, I'm not a kid. I'm a man or something like that. That delivery for whatever reason just killed me. So, um, you know, this episode was a good uh, spotlight for him. Uh, the loser sketch. I'm sure we'll talk about as well, which I really, really dug. But uh, I, I really enjoyed the subway sketch. Yeah. James, what about you? I love that you both loved the subway sketch. It was, you know, it was OK for me. I think the subway jingle was for sure the best part. Um, uh, Jared, uh it's interesting and uh, John feel free to edit this out if need be. Um, uh, but you know what, you know, when it was going through the, the crazy uh, times uh, and he was in the news uh, he, you know, lives outside Indianapolis here. So I just, wanted to go find the house which i did so i drove past i didn't do anything but it was just interesting to to see the home in which jared was uh under house arrest but uh, i digress um i you know it uh it was it was it was fun it was fun for what it was i thought yeah yeah um, I do. I do think that uh, Sammy made a great point, which is something that I wanted to mention earlier, which was this was the only time in the episode where they took Krasinski out of the basically the straight man role, um, which was something I was really excited to see. I do think that that was the like um, I was waiting all episode for that, which is like, are they going to make him do something other than play like basically some offshoot of Jim? Um, so that was really good. Um, Rich, was there any other ones that you wanted to talk about? Well, I mean, let's talk about the losers. Sammy brought it up. I thought that as pre-tapes go, that was great. I mean, I just thought, again, we kind of know where this is going. 
it's a little bit of a twist, but once sort of the game of the sketch is established that he's going to start, you know, the reveals continued to just make us giggle and make us laugh. It didn't get to a point where I was like, okay, I get it. Wrap it up. He was so earnest. It was lovely. I thought Andrew played it really nice in that, you know, oh, that didn't happen or, oh, not exactly. I thought everybody in it was fun, worked really well, a nice little evergreen piece. I, I really I agreed also really strong. Yeah, Sammy, James, either of you want to jump in on that? Yeah, uh, you know, just kind of to echo um, what Rich said. Yeah, I mean, the the escalation in the sketch really worked. It, it didn't go on for too long. Uh, I thought the timing was really good. And yeah, it's just like a really good showcase for Dismukes, uh, who for me um, is starting to become the, the featured cast member um, that I really have my eye on as, as someone who was added into this season who I feel like, um, has a ton of potential on the show. I hope, you know, he, you know, makes it to another season. Uh, you know, Tim Robinson was someone who, uh, he reminds me of just kind of like some of the delivery and weird comedy that he has. And obviously he was only on the show for a season. So, um, I'm, I'm hoping, uh, in the next couple of episodes we have for the rest of the season that we get more, uh, more showcases of him. Cause I, I really like what he's been delivering so far. Yeah. Uh, James, yeah, Andrew had uh, this muke ha- had a really good showing this this uh, this episode. Like I said, it was really really fun to see everybody, you know, in, in there. Some folks, you know, I wish we could have seen a little bit more of a, uh, you know, Heidi Garner and uh, always Melissa. Um, but uh, and since we haven't mentioned the sketch yet, uh, it was such the obvious uh, ten to one sketch. Um, but the bedroom confession, you know, I, the, I noticed, I saw somewhere people like just freaking out on the fact that, uh, he identifies his name as Ratatouille, which <laughs> is not his name, but it's like, I think that is so intentional to basically just be two things. One stupid about it, I think. And then two, uh, and hit, just to hit you over the head with the fact that this is uh, this is this is coming from that, but uh, and then I don't even know what '80s piece in there had to do with <laughs> anything, uh, which is just another you know because it's so late in the night. Sometimes you wonder if there are just pages that had to be cut, or maybe that's just you know what it was supposed to be. But um, it was it was just the uh, you know the epitome, I guess, of of just that that late night sketch. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Does, any, does anyone want to talk about that or should we uh, move on to any other sketches you guys want to talk about? I just want to yes end the idea. I don't think I love this sketch, but it, it, it I was so happy to see we're back to the crazy 10 to 1. I defy you to see if you can guess how they came up with this sketch if drugs were not involved. <laughs> Ratatouille is not timely. It has nothing to do with sex. The but Nothing about it makes sense. I cannot figure out how they got there, but I love that they did. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of those questions, uh, you know, when you watch a movie like Ratatouille, where, you know, you have the guy controlling his actions where, you know, yeah, you know, late night in the writer's room, I can definitely see them being like, you know, he's having the rat, you know, cook for him. What else could the rat do? <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that sketch as well. And the button at the end with Pete Davidson as the as the critic uh, just killed me. So. Uh, overall, great episode for Pete as well. I, I want to shout that out. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, there was one sketch that I wanted to definitely talk about on the podcast with you guys, and that was this Blue Georgia sketch. Um, and I know that um, it, it, I was looking at a lot of people's opinions online, and a lot of people had different opinions about this sketch and what the intentions of the sketch were. And I found this sketch really interesting because what I what I found was is that they did something with this sketch that they haven't done for a while on the show, which is make subtle digs at the left. And, you know, that's, you know, we've known for the past few years, especially during the Trump administration, that, you know, the show's voice is probably like 95% Democratic. But the fact is that they took a very clever concept, in my opinion, which is, you know, the state of Georgia turning blue, and then made it like as blue as it possibly can be. And you walk in and you see the references to the Beyond Meat and people referring to themselves as he, him, and the the Michelle Obama book. And I just I just thought that there was a lot of stuff that was very clever here. And it was, um, it was to me, in terms of my overall thoughts of the show, I actually felt like it was a really strong way to start off the show. And the show for me died out a little bit towards the end, um, even though there were some things that I did like, but the Blue Georgia sketch I particularly liked, um, written by Michael Che, um, who doesn't always get that many lead sketches or lead writing credits on sketches in the show. And I thought it was interesting to see his, his voice on things right off the top. Uh, so, Rich, what's your opinion on that Blue Georgia sketch? Oh, John, you might want to go to someone else first. I don't know if you want to start with me. All right. Um, I- I thought this was one of the low points of the show. I was very bored by this sketch. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, for me, it felt like I didn't know at the time who wrote it, but I knew it was not written by anyone from Georgia because it didn't. There was no specificity of a point of view. I felt like okay, we're gonna map very traditional liberal stereotypes onto the state of Georgia, so that made me absolutely laugh for about. 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds. And then it was just like a list. From that point, I could have written the rest of the sketch. I should not be able to write Saturday Night Live sketches. I'm not a Saturday Night Live writer. So for me, I didn't really know what the point was. And I'm very open to taking shots at the left if they are of a specific point of view where I could go, "Uh, you know what, I got to admit, you're right, you got me. And I didn't feel this was that. I felt this was just a mapping game that for me got old very quickly. But within it, very good performances. I like the actors in it. I just didn't know what it was really saying as, oh, look how blue it's gotten. They have avocado toast. Okay. Okay. I I don't know. I would love, I felt like I would love to see a writer from the South go, no, if we're going to make fun of this, this is what you make fun of. I I didn't feel that. But if it worked for you, that's great. Yeah. Um, No, that's, that's totally fair. Uh, Sammy, what did you think? Uh, Yeah, no, I, I overall enjoyed it. Um, I do think it probably wasn't one of the highlights of the episode for me. Um, Look, whenever you throw like a, uh, like a Jewish humor, like the, the the Mazel Tov and the the the, the Jewish their thing, uh, you know that's that's always going to work for me as a Jew. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean over overall, I liked it. I do think um, kind of like what Rich is saying, point of view uh, wasn't necessarily there, but um, you know most of the the humor worked for me. Um, I do think some of the stuff throughout the episode with the the direction and, and the camera work um, was was off. Um, and I, and I kind of noticed that when the show came back, um, uh, at the beginning of this season, you know, the first episode or two, so probably just coming back from the break, um, there were some technical issues, but 
yeah, so that that impacted this sketch for me a little bit, but um, yeah, overall, you know, it was it was a good sketch, but definitely not one of my favorites of the of the night. Yeah, uh, James, let me get your your two cents on that. And with regards to technical stuff, uh, Sammy, I, I definitely noticed that in the the game night sketch that we got um, later on in the episode that that I felt that opinion that you had on the Blue Georgia affected my viewing of the game night sketch later on, uh, James. So whatever you want to touch on, go ahead. Yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed the Blue Georgia sketch. Um, you know, Rich, you you are not wrong. And to a certain point, I think uh, hadn't thought about it from maybe it could have cut uh, the satire or whatever deeper had it been written uh, by someone from Georgia who could speak to, you know, some more inside uh, things. But uh, as I heard you kind of, you know, saying what you had to say, it also then made me think, well, maybe part of the joke is that Georgia is now trying to catch up. You know what I mean? Like that, that, you know, it's just, it, it is so obvious that they are not there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but um, I, I enjoyed it for what it was in terms of uh, it being sort of clever as a place to, uh, we mentioned this, I think on the front of this program here today, uh, a lot of it is, is, uh, in the way that they presented some of the, uh, you know, more current events in a, in a different setting. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, all right. There's a couple other things before we kind of get into the, the cast a little bit more um, that I wanted to touch on. One was um, I don't have a lot to say about this supermarket sweep sketch that they did. A typical uh, Kate and 80, which, uh, you know, I, I love them, but I have seen, you know, this before them like rolling around on the floor and having fun. Um, but it was just, um, you know, actually, James, I'll go right back to you on this because uh, we had both heard prior to the show that there was going to be a supermarket sweep sketch. And my first thought was, are oh, we yeah. getting a Leslie Jones cameo? And I just thought it was, you know, I, I know she's ha- said some things that were not so great about the show since she's she's left the show, but I thought it was so weird to me. How do you not at least make a reference to the fact that, you know, one of your, you know, biggest cast members from the last few years that has left the show is now the current host of the game show that you are parodying? I thought it was just so bizarre to me. Yeah, I think all of that seems strange in in regard to that whole sketch. And in fact, I was, you know, just so excited to see Kate and AD reunited in this episode. Um, And they have done some just really just crazy character work uh, over the years. So I was looking forward to more, I think, from that sketch. And for me, it was a little bit of a a letdown. Uh, Rich, what about you? Yeah, I mean, the premise of the sketch was because it's 90s bland television, we can't address that these two lesbians are actually romantic partners. But then the sketch kind of lost that thread and just became about watching these two great performers be great together. But I wasn't quite sure what to laugh at because the premise itself was so watered down and it didn't didn't really follow it through to any conclusion. So you know, and also, yeah, when I saw in the bumper, I saw supermarket sweep, like, oh, great, here's Leslie Jones, or, you know, or someone, you know, doing a Leslie Jones impression, I can't decide which I'm more excited about. And then kind of, uh, yeah, not so great. Yeah, Sammy? Uh, Well, yeah, jumping on to what Rich said, uh, I didn't even think about that, just having someone uh, impersonating Leslie Jones, who's definitely of the cast members who have left the show in recent years, she's someone that you can definitely uh she has characteristics 
and her energy that you can definitely have, you know, uh, another cast member ego. I'd love to see what her Leslie Jones impression could be. Um, so maybe, maybe that's a missed opportunity, but yeah, I mean, kind of like everybody's saying, um, you know, it being a period piece, if you will at all, you know, not acknowledging Leslie Jones made sense to me, um, you know, towards the end of it overall, you know, I kind of agree with what people are saying here. Um, Kate and 80 was, it was just good to have them back. And it was definitely like one of the, their, their weaker kind of pairings where they've done like similar, you know, friend characters like this, definitely, you know, one of the weaker ones, but uh, you know, I wasn't sure when we were coming back from the break, if we were going to get Kate, cause I know that she's going to be filming. Um, I, I believe the tiger King show uh, soon. So I was just, you know, very grateful that we got some, some Kate and 80 before, uh, you know, the season was up. Yeah, very, very timely. Her going to do the Tiger King uh, show now. Um, right. Is, is the there? Way, we, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to throw in. We've talked about some of the impressions uh, with you know, especially with the the theme songs. I don't think we've touched on what for me was hands down the best impression of the night, which was weirdly Bowen Yang as Fran Lebowitz. Okay, that, the fact that that sentence just came out of my mouth is insane. Now, I don't know how popular Pretend is a City on Netflix was or wasn't. I don't know if it's a coast thing, but me and my wife watched every episode. Uh, a, that impression of Bowen Yang was fantastic. I thought it was so fun. And B, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's it's basically it's a seven-episode documentary uh, where Martin Scorsese directs and interviews Fran Lebowitz just about life. And she's just as engaging but, and a lot of it is the two of them uh, on stage together. And halfway through maybe the second or the third episode when we watched it, I turned to my wife and I said, have you noticed how Martin Scorsese is laughing so hard at everything Fran Lebowitz says? And Jen's like, what? And we start, and it became our obsession. And then we started arguing and fun about whether he's unbelievably tickled by her or whether he was leaning into the laughter. And we really thought this is a joke that we were the only two people on the planet Earth that had. And so to see on Saturday Night Live, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, an impression of Martin Scorsese in this very niche thing was just so wonderful. I, I loved this. I thought this was really fun. See, I thought your story was going to end with you ripping your eyebrows off. And by the way, the Kyle Mooney, Martin Scorsese impression was as bad of an impression as Bowen Yang's was good. And yet it was still just, just joyous and fun. I, I am so happy you brought this up, Rich, because... Uh, I wrote down in my notes that this might have been like the highlight of the entire episode for me. Um, I am someone who I am vaguely, vaguely aware of Fran Lebowitz. I've seen the Netflix thing like pop up on on Netflix. So I've seen like, you know, five, 10 seconds of her speaking. And the minute he, uh, you know, they 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 were rolled into the, the, the update desk, I was I was dying. I and that's when, you know, like one of these impressions or, or weekend update spots really works is that you don't when you don't even need to like have much investment in the person they're parodying and it still works and the jokes still work. That's when you, you know, you have a winner. Um, I don't know if this is something uh, he can bring back in the future, but I'd love for him, for them to do it. The, the line that really got me was, you know, be something useful, like a piece of melon wrapped in prosciutto. Like I died at that is probably as hard as Kyle Mooney's Martin Scorsese did, did not rip off my eyebrows, but I, I love that. It was great. Yeah. Uh, was there anyone who wanted to touch on anything else from Update before we move on? 
Um, okay, so let's uh, let's move on to the cast and talk a little bit about who stood out for each of you. So, uh, James, I'll start with you. Was there a cast member who stood out to you this week that you want to talk about? Stood out, I guess I would say, um, you know, Beck Bennett just really seems to be the glue right now. I mean, you know, maybe that's my the, the obvious choice to mention Beck, but um, it it just occurred to me, you know, I mean, he plays so many different things. He does them all very, very well. Um, somebody, uh, I can't remember where had mentioned, had started to, you know, everybody used to always call Phil Hartman, the glue. Um, but he also reminds me a little bit of, uh, I was always a fan of Chris Parnell who seemed to be, uh, able to take so many different roles, be the straight person and also be just a really crazy zany person as well. Uh, so I've really been uh, enjoying uh, Beck. Uh, what's interesting is the folks that we didn't see as much. I just uh, look forward to kind of the next episodes that hopefully that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, more Heidi, more Chris Red, more Ego. Um, of the, of the kind of first and second season folks, um, Chloe is is a 10 in my book. Yeah. Uh, Rich, what about you? Who stood out for you? I mean, even though I didn't love the Blue Georgia sketch, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. So to see AD Bryant back, it just made me so happy. She can do anything. She's just so joyous and fun. And then you put her and Kate together. And even if I don't love the sketches, I just love seeing her back. So certainly there, uh, Bowen Yang again, I think, you know, I forget that he's a featured player. I mean, to me, Fran Leibowitz was the most memorable impression of the whole, you know, of the whole episode. Uh, so it was great to see her. And I would agree, Chloe Feynman, I think, is also of, of the new team is, is very, very strong. Um, but it just, it was great to see AD back. And I love having Cecily back even though this wasn't her first episode back um I, just a lot of her just stuff was just really great yeah and uh and sammy um, i'm gonna come to you but i i you know i'm looking at uh you know each everybody on the panel i give them the the list of sketches and the amount of sketches that every cast member is in and it's very interesting for me to see that all of our main players except for melissa chris and heidi um you know heidi we usually see more from this isn't new for chris or melissa but uh almost every cast member of our main cast was in at least four sketches this episode which i think is really great um in terms of of them dividing the work among the entire cast. Uh, so, Sammy, what about you? Anybody stood out for you? Uh, well, jumping off that point a little bit, yeah, when you sent over the notes, I totally noticed that as well. I uh, was very surprised, even though I've gushed about them during the episode, about Dismukes also being in four sketches um, during the episode. So definitely a good stand standout episode for him. But uh, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but Pete Davidson. Pete is someone who I know, you know, People in the community don't think he works so well in sketches, or at least historically he hasn't. Um, but I've been on Pete's uh, in Pete's camp since day one, just because of his weekend update stuff, and just when he came on the show. Um, you know, he's a little older than me, but just seeing someone you know around my age like be on SNL was was so cool, and just the way that he's grown over the last couple of years, and especially this season, I think he's really starting to hit his stride in the sketches. Um, I mean, if you would ask me this time last year, it, it seemed like he was going to leave at the end of last season. But the fact that he's like really hitting a stride now, like I, you know, I don't want him to leave after this season. So I uh, really liked everything that he brought to the table this episode. Sammy, let me one up that. I, I think this is Pete's best season on the show so far. Do you yeah, agree? Ab absolutely. Oh, yeah. 
And yeah. it's funny because I he's maybe been on update once, maybe twice. And you know, there there are some seasons where you know it, it felt like almost every week he was on update. So the fact that he is still kind of making that impact on me um, in the show by not being on update every week, I think is a testament to kind of how he's improved this season. I feel like you're seeing him for the first time have the confidence to be in a sketch and not giggle and not just be himself or try to do something silly to get a laugh. And I love that, especially in the cold open. I mean, he played that gamer just right. And if he if he was kind of checked out and was kind of looking at the camera and laughing or looking down and it it wouldn't have been as fun as it was. I I think he really is hitting the, the, the stride of like he's all in now. He feels like he's all in on these sketches that he's in, even if they're not the best sketches. And I think he's doing a great job. I agree. Um, and, and, you know, we didn't touch on it yet, but for me, probably the best moment of the entire night is Pete Davidson and Machine Gun Kelly falling off the stage yeah, in the goodnight. Fantastic. And Rich, let me go. Let me go back to you, because uh, I know you love the goodnights. And this I love the goodnights. I love the goodnights. Well, first of all, if you think I knew who Machine Gun Kelly was before Saturday at 11 p.m., you're crazy. Uh, and of course, watching this guy and at the end seeing the huge bear hug between Pete Davidson and Machine Gun Kelly, I went, of course they are. Fr- of course the two of them uh, just felt like two, and I say this with love, jackasses um, on stage clowning around horse playing. This is exactly what you want from SNL. This is the party that I want to be at. These are the two dumb frat guys who had too much to drink and are now playing chicken on the stage and throwing themselves off. Uh, glad no one got hurt. Super fun moment. Dumb, 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 dumb. But I loved it. It's exactly what we want to see. Well, I do want to touch on what Rich just said about Pete and uh, Machine Gun Kelly is, uh, you know, right before the 10 to 1 sketch, my buddy texted me being like, you know, big missed opportunity not having Machine Gun Kelly and Pete Davidson in a sketch together because they're such, you know, good friends in real life. And uh, we accidentally got, we fell into a sketch, if you will, uh, during, during the Literally. good night. It's a great moment um, that, you know, uh, if, even though we didn't get a sketch, well, we, we can hold on to that. We can cherish that. Yeah, I was like, I have to get this GIF up on Twitter as quickly as possible. And I, w- I went semi-viral. It wasn't as viral as your stuff, Sammy, sometimes that you do, but, uh, but it was pretty good. I would say, I would say this about uh, Machine Gun Kelly is, uh, again, it's another example of, you know, kind of a younger person who is so excited to be there, which, uh, you know, and I, I saw an earlier uh, during the week social post about him, you know, modifying his guitar, you know, special guitar for the show. I mean, he was just he was psyched to be there. I uh, eventually did get to see the good nights. It was uh, uh, initially cut uh in at my affiliate because the show was running running long which is always uh i, I never like that in uh the uh cecily tyson uh bumper uh was uh, was a good uh a good nod as well obviously as uh we just lost her uh this week and uh first african-american woman to to host i think in uh season four i think it was yeah yeah uh, definitely important to mention um as a a little bit of a, a diff- on a different note, I'm not sure uh, if you all saw this as well, but we had a very weird um, Wayne's World <laughs> sketch oh, yeah. in an Uber commercial. Also after the after the monologue, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know if any of you want to touch on that, but uh, what happened to Mike Myers? 
Uh, I mean, the only thing I'll say is that, you know, when that's when that first it came on for me right after the monologue and I thought it was a sketch and I was very confused for the the first like 10 to 15 seconds. But man, uh, you know, I've been wanting an Austin Powers 4 for a while now, but I I, I don't know, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not Uh, sure. (laughs) um okay so so that's that's the krasinski episode um overall i i really felt that there was a lot of excitement going into the first episode of the year for me it was a good episode it wasn't a great episode we had some like really interesting sketches but my overall thought as i left uh the episode at uh, at 102 a.m on saturday night uh, going into sunday morning was just i wish i just saw krasinski play more you know, different types of characters. And that's, that's really where I walked away, you know, being very excited to see him host SNL, but I wish I could see more from him. And I hope one day that he does get to host again, and we will see more from him then. Uh, Does anyone else want to touch on anything to do with uh, last Saturday's episode? Just for me, a reminder of, you know, that, you know, when we come back from a break and this is probably the longest break, you know, we've had in in years coming out of Christmas. It's like a reset of the season premiere, which is, you know, it's a warm up show. It is it is is dusting off the cobwebs. You add the logistics of covid. So I agree. I thought it was a good show. Didn't think it was a great show. Um, Fun to have them back. But I feel like, okay. Now we're going. Let's go. Now let's get let's get ramped up. Let's get to Dan Levy. Let's really let's do this. I think that this was the longest uh, Christmas hiatus, you know, save for maybe the writer's strike in 07, 08, uh, with the exception of maybe in the early years when their Christmas show would have been earlier in December. But to, to, to count it from the holidays through January, this was a, um, uh, you know, a pretty long hiatus. And, and I'm with you, Rich. I think it was good uh, with what they brought. And now they're, I think, going to just uh, be on fire this next week and, and going for again, five in a row is, is uh, <laughs> that, that hurts, I think. Uh, the only thing I was going to add to what Rich was saying, um, how it's basically a reset and comparing it to the first episode of the season is, you know, the first episode of the season had Chris Rock um, hosting. And I, I think, uh, you know, this episode was better. I, I like this episode more than, than the first episode of the season. So I think as much as they're kind of dusting off the cobwebs a little bit, um, I, I think overall it was like a, a solid start to the season. If they, if they keep this energy going through this next string of uh, four episodes that we have uh, in, in front of us, uh, I think we're in for some, some really good shows. Yeah, so let's let's. It's a great segue. Let's turn to the Dan Levy show, and uh, most famous for Shit's Creek, which he wrote with uh, his father Eugene Levy, who was supposed to host the show in 1985 with John Candy. Uh, they were both going to host the show together, and there was a writer strike at the time, and they they didn't get a chance to host. And um, it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, we haven't had a lot of cameos this season, but do we get a Eugene Levy cameo? Um, Rich, let me go to you. Let me hear your expectations. Uh, for the Dan Levy hosted episode, are you a Shit's Creek guy? Big Shit's Creek fan, really liked it a lot. Uh, you know, it was one of those, saw the first one or two episodes and I was like, I don't get what all the hubbub is about. But it was just such a joyous way to end each night when it was on Netflix of just this wonderful family. Um, I feel like this is a victory lap for him more than uh, anything else. I, you know, this is, you know, just he, you know, obviously I'm of the age I loved, you know, uh, um, you know, his father. I loved, you know, you know, I, you know, and yet coming in and, and liking the scene 
scenes with him and Ann Murphy more than the two one of those two most iconic comedians ever. So so happy for that. You know, how will he be playing different characters? I don't know. I heard he uh, there was a there was a, a a Christmas movie he was in. I heard he was very strong in. So I think it'll be fun. You know, his dad, who I you know I grew up loving. You know, he is of an age that unless he got the COVID shot, I don't know if he should be doing cameos. I will say this cast I think is so close that it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to sort of break what would be prudent COVID uh, behavior to maybe show up and and show up in a cameo or something. So I think it'll be fun. Yeah, James, let me hear from you. What are your expectations for the Dan Levy episode? Um, I'm really excited uh, for it. And Rich, I can't think of the Christmas movie, uh, but I saw it and, and he was great in it. Um, I can't think of what it was called, but yeah, just uh, this past season. Um, <clears throat> I don't I don't anticipate any cameos uh, more, maybe COVID, maybe, but more so that I think that his, his, his father and others are probably going to let Dan have his moment, you know what I mean? A little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, who the heck knows? Um, I, uh, he's, he, Dan's a great writer too. So I'm, I'm looking forward to just seeing some, you know, maybe quirky outside the box kind of, kind of things. Um, that being said, that's, that's where my head is. Yeah, Sammy, I know you you mentioned to me uh, off air that you haven't gotten to Schitt's Creek yet, but are you binging it before next weekend? Oh, well, not sure if there's enough time for that. I'll, I'll try. But um, no, I, I watched the first like season and a half of Schitt's Creek and then for whatever reason um, fell off of it. Definitely want to get back into it. I, I, I liked what I saw, but the movie was Happiest Season was the Christmas movie ah. that it was in. And he was great in that. So uh, I'm really excited. Um, to see what he is going to bring to the show. I know that after the Emmys um, last season on the you know the SNL communities and subreddits, a lot of people were predicting. You know, it, it seems like a lot of the times after the Emmys, whoever makes a splash comes to host. You know, Phoebe Wal- Waller Bridge comes to mind. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely excited that he's getting uh, his chance to do it. Uh, I mean, as far as Eugene Levy, uh, you know, just echoing whatever one else says. You know, prob- probably not for you know the, the COVID of it all. Uh, maybe they can do some sort of pre-tape that they, you know, put uh, put him into. But what I want to see, what I just thought of, is Dan Levy doing a Eugene Levy impression. That is what I need mm. to see. So, I don't think I've ever seen him in any interviews or anything like that. You know, do an impression of his dad, and I'm sure he's got one cooking. So, Dan Levy, if you're watching this. Do it. Pitch it. That's a good call, Sammy. That's a good one. Yeah, that's great. And uh, and I failed to mention it, but also obviously Catherine O'Hara has a a very rich history with with SNL as well. Um, was hired as a cast member and then never became a cast member. Um, so that was Thank a Donahue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, which was a uh, a really uh, interesting statistical nugget um, from the history of the show. And she did actually come back and host a couple times previously. So um, so that is nice. Uh, with regards to the SNL stats coverage uh, for next week, we are going to be doing two shows next week. We are going to be live immediately after the Dan Levy show. So come join us on our SNL stats YouTube page. Um, I'll be there with a couple of special guests and we'll be breaking down the episode right after staying up late and talking about our immediate thoughts and hot takes about the episode. And then of course we will have our regular round table with an incredible panel uh, a few days later. So uh, let's go around the table. Let's talk about uh, plugs. So rich, uh, where can people find you and do you have anything that you want the listeners to know about? 
Uh, at Rich Tack on Twitter. Not that I'm super active there, but doing some live storytelling. I've got a show the first Monday in March. It's on Zoom, so live is a relative term, but uh, we'll be uh, telling a fun story uh, uh, from a, an inadvertent acting experience that I did not mean to have, uh, and and so that'll be fun. So, but yeah, find me find me there and uh, on Facebook. Always feel free to say hello. Yeah, and uh, super fan Sammy, where can people find you? Uh, as you can see. You can follow me everywhere at that Sammy K. Um, I'm mostly on Twitter these days, so you should definitely uh, give me a follow there if you want to, you know, hear my dumb jokes and uh, or I guess read my dumb jokes and my, my hot takes on what's going on in uh, in this crazy world of ours. And uh, I look forward to being on this program again soon. Yeah, and Sammy, for those uh, who only check out our regular shows and haven't checked out any off-week stuff, can you give the listeners a little bit of a pitch about why they should watch your superfan-hosted takeovers? Absolutely. Well, you know, if you want more of this guy, and you know, I, I'm the host of that show. It's not, it's not our, our fearless leader here, John. But uh, yeah, you know, me and, and the superfans, uh, we, we put together a fun show. It's usually one main topic, a, a discussion. So the last episode we did was SNL Time Machine, where we kind of went back in time and explored alternative histories. Uh, if you were to change something from the show's past, you know, what would the show look like today? And uh, that conversation was really fun. Uh, so I definitely, you know, recommend you guys check that one out as, as well as the previous episode we did. And uh, there will be more to come in the future. So definitely uh, check it out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I gotta say, I the the trivia at the the last half of the, that last episode was was a lot of fun. My wife and I played along. Um, okay, and James, thank you so much for joining us on one of these regular panels. It's always such a pleasure to hear from you. I know that you are not too active on social media yourself, but is there anywhere where uh, you can connect with people or anything that you want to plug uh, for for the audience? Not to plug, uh, certainly on Facebook and on Instagram, JP Stevens Jr. on Instagram. Um, but again, not not super active. Uh, hopefully the next time, whenever that might be on uh, SNL Stats, uh, we can we can talk some more. But uh, again, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Very happy to have you. And it has been a pleasure to talk to all of you tonight about the first episode of 2021. For you to catch all of our shows, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at SNL Stats and subscribe to us in any podcatcher or on YouTube. Those YouTube subscriptions really help with people finding the show. So if you are a regular listener and you haven't subscribed on YouTube, please go ahead and do that. I just want to thank once again all of our listeners for joining us in 2021. Like I said, a lot to look forward to. We're really excited about the show coming back and for another four episodes before we take a break so a lot of snl to cover over the next month and we will be here alongside you going through it all with our incredible panels that we have moving forward so thank you so much everybody for joining us we will see you next week have a good night but we're here for the numbers as well so let's get statistical so unpredictable here on snl